It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Extra, extra, hear all about it. Extra, extra, hear all about it. Extra, extra, hear all about it. Extra, extra inch. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Extra Inch, the first proper episode of the season. I'm Windy, and I'm joined, as ever, by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, Nathan A. Clark. All right, mate. As you'll hear, we're back on Skype. Didn't quite pan out in the studio as we'd hoped, but we'll hope to be back there very soon. Today, we're going to look at the forthcoming season in terms of Tactical progression, Spurs' squad depth, how we think it might pan out. But before we delve into that, thank you so much for all the recent iTunes reviews. Uh, they really help us out. That's a bit of a cliche on podcasts for people to say that, but they genuinely do help us out. And they're also just really nice to read. So thank you. We appreciate it. And if anyone else wants to leave an iTunes review and, and rating, that would be much appreciated as well. So we're here after the close of the transfer window, before the Newcastle season opener. And we're going to talk about what to expect from Spurs this year. And I think a good place to start is the squad makeup now the window has closed. And Nathan, I guess you should lead on this because you've been the guy for um, sort of pictorially, graphically showing how Spurs' squad looks um, going into the season. So what are your overall thoughts? Where are we strong? Where are we, weak? Where are we weaker? And um, yeah, what are your thoughts generally? So <laughs> it's the same squad as last season, um, except for Lucas, of course. Um, it's a strong squad, and it, it was a very strong squad when we started with it last season. But um, various issues arose: um, Dembele losing fitness, Wink suffering with injury, uh, Toby and, and Rose falling out with um, I don't know if it's specifically Pochettino, but generally with the star. Um, so. Issues crept into what was a very strong squad, and it's kind of hard to say which of those issues will and won't be resolved to get an idea of of how the squad is this season or how it could be this season. Um, If everything goes well and all of the bad things are turned around and all of these players recover from long-term injuries and, and, um, you know, there's a lot of kissing and making up, then it is a very good squad. Um, And it's if everything works out, then it will be very easy to defend the summer that we've had. but if it doesn't, there are patches there. And the biggest patch remains in central midfield. Um, so the only real update I could do to the the, the sort of squad graph um, over the summer was to shift it into a 4-3-3, which is what we've been playing in pre-season. Now, we might not play a 4-3-3 at all. We might continue with the 4-2-3-1. We might return to the three at the back. Um, but 
there's some danger with reading into what formation we play in pre-season, of course, but it seems like the 4-3-3 makes sense because of that previously um, addressed issue in central midfield. Obviously, it seems um, counterintuitive to say that we'll go to a formation with more central midfielders, but because of the increase of the central midfielders on the pitch, they will have a lesser share of the burden defensively. So you don't need Moussa Dembele, who is both incredibly proactive defensively and, and athletically, as well as being able to carry the ball, because if you have two players to share that job, you can probably, hopefully, we'll see, get away with playing Ericsson and Delhi in those roles. So from a 4-3-3 angle, it, it looks pretty good. And Bardi, what are your what are your concerns? What are you, what are you pleased with with our squad going into the season? Um, I'm pleased that we kept our best players. My concerns are the same kind of thing I've been saying all summer. I I'm concerned that our midfield lacks that that bit of bite, that kind of something that Dembele used to give us, and seems unable to now reproduce twice twice a week. We've got the Champions League coming in um, September, and we know through to Christmas is always a tricky time for Tottenham, and that's where my concern is. And if we're playing um, a four-three-three or four-three-two-one, however many we seem to be actually using a lot of centre midfielders at once, and I know maybe you can reduce the kind of effort they have to put in, but I just think that's where our problems lay, and that's where I foresee our problems are going to happen this year. I must admit, I do have um, kind of an overarching concern about midfield, not just because of Dembele's quite obvious um, beginnings of a decline. But also because of Wanyama and this injury he's picked up, which seems to be the same as what he had last year. And from what we've been reading, it seems potentially quite serious and like he might be missing for some time. So not having Wanyama means we basically have to play Dyer as a holding midfielder, um, which is, is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but it restricts our options in, in other areas, areas of the pitch. I think what Nathan was saying just there about potentially switching to a three, dropping Ericsson and Delhi potentially into midfield, or at least giving the option to play more attacking midfield, uh, more attacking players in that central midfield role, that might just have to be the way forward to 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 make this squad work as it stands with with Dembele not the player he once was. Interested to see how Winks returns from injury. I mean, his ankle seemed to be made of glass, and I'm slightly concerned that he's just going to get injured again. But we know that when Winks is on top form, he's a really promising young player. He has a lot of skills that other players in our squad don't possess. So that, that's exciting. And I'm also interested to see whether Onimar gets integrated now or whether he goes back out on loan again, having been at Villa for the last half of last season. So that remains to be seen as well. Uh, he's also returning from injury. So I guess we'll find out pretty soon whether he's going to be integrated into the first team squad or not. I would like to make one point regarding um, our squad makeup. And I think the biggest jumps in performance and ability has happened when we've signed players to to challenge. And when there's been an individual who's not starting, someone like Davies or Trippier, and Pochettino has encouraged them to work on their game, build on their game. So we signed Aurier, who was the kind of go-to replacement for Carl Walker, supposedly. But Trippier all of a sudden upped his game. And even though there were faults with him as a football player, he really improved. We saw the same happen with Davies. We saw what happened with Harry Kane when he had um, Soldado and Adebayor in front of him. So I think one, even though our first eleven remains great, that is my that is my issue now with this team that there is no one pushing them. When we signed Wanyama, there was a lot of talk that we didn't need him because Dyer was came off the back of an incredible breakout season in centre midfield. But then we saw what Wanyama did and how he encouraged Dyer to become a good player. So that is that is my fear right at this moment, as well as the centre midfield that we do lack 
that quality to kind of egg another player on. Like, it's always good to have an excellent backup goalkeeper because it's almost as if they take a lot of the training load rather than the coaches and they're the ones that push the keeper. So my fear is we don't have any players pushing to make that starting berth and there could be a kind of laziness seeping into our team. And even though Pochettino is a great motivator, we have seen in cup games when he's played the second string that there is a significant lack of motivation in those players. And that is also a worry for me. I think that's a really astute point. I think exactly right what you said there, um, bringing players in to, to push first teamers who might otherwise be kind of resting on their laurels, is, is it, that's, that's a, a necessity. And I think whilst we can all appreciate that Pochettino has improved players, there's, been some, there's something in what you said there that that's come also as, as a direct result of having healthy competition. I would say that Lucas has the potential to be that that guy for our attacking midfielders and could bring out the best in, let's say, Son, uh, Lamella, uh, maybe, maybe even um, Delhi, uh, who, who who perhaps dipped in, in certain aspects of that role last year. Um, so, so there's that there in Lucas, but also some of our younger players now being closer to the first team squad and having had exposure in pre-season and being seen as more trusted members of a team could have that same impact as a, as a new signing might. So... I think what you said there is, is absolutely spot on, but I, th- I don't think it's all necessarily lost. I think that there are potentially uh, players who can, who can push our first teamers for, for their first team places. Before we sort of talk about other things, I, I just wanted to mention, <laughs> it's been quite doom and gloom about Spurs over the last week or so, primarily because of the, the lack of signings. But uh, I had an interesting read this week. So one of the ladies at work very sweetly saved me the Sun on Sunday's Premier League guide this year and I couldn't resist the look and it's fairly hilarious so Sean Custis who's head of support of the Sun oh I'm laughing before I even started reading it he says on paper Tottenham would appear the ones likely to benefit from England's summer of success I mean we could we could analyze that statement alone couldn't we yeah um, so England's summer of success we're yeah, fine um golden boot winner Harry Kane is talismanic fine whilst Kieran Trippier and Deli Ali should be buzzing after their exploits on the world's biggest stage I mean Trippier yeah fine but Danny Ali's been sort of pilloried by a lot of England fans for his World Cup performances. It just seems such an odd statement. Plus, if anything, the World Cup's tired our players out more. It's not necessarily going to leave us buzzing, but oh, it was very, very amusing. It amused me. Okay, so we'll, we'll move on from the sun. Uh, Mike Cheller from Reddit said, How do you ideally see the situation at right back working out? Trippier seems to be the best of the three right now, but Aurier and Kyle Walker-Peters both have higher ceiling. And I think a lot of that will depend on the formation, which we'll, we'll talk about shortly. But what, what do you think there, Bardi? We've, we've, been critic- we've been highly critical of Trippier across the last season. We've now seen him have a really good World Cup for England. What, what are your thoughts on what Trippier can do this year and, and whether he'll be pushed by Aurier and Walker-Peters? Uh, my issues on, on... My opinion on Trippier hasn't changed. He remains a, a good footballer with the ball. Um, he does offer us something going forward. But during the World Cup, England played against a lot of teams that didn't really attack him. And for the majority of the league games, he doesn't have a problem. He's he's fine. He's more than capable. But sometimes against the bigger teams, he does get torn one a few times. And that is my concern, that his recovery isn't that great. And also, um, sometimes I don't think he commits quick enough to um, to an attack. But he, he remains an excellent right back with faults. Um, I would like to see more from Carl Walker-Peters. I think he embodies a bit more of the kind of common sense fullback and as well as an attacking option where from what we saw with Aurier yesterday, last year, he remains a little bit reckless, especially when chasing his own goal. But um, that was something that Danny Rose used to suffer from all the time and he would get sent off and give penalties away. 
but it kind of worked it out of him. I still have faith that Oria can be a leading fullback with us for us or wing back, but I think Trippier is nailed on our number one right back. There's definitely something to work with with Aurier. I, I really believe, I truly believe that. I know he's been, like you say, reckless so far and very error prone, but um, there, there's a lot to like about his performances as well. Um, mm-hmm. Nathan, I'm going to put you on the spot a bit. Who do you think will finish the season as our starting right back? Uh, oh, I, I honestly couldn't couldn't pick between the three. I think there's easy cases to make it for each one of them. I really agree with um, Mike Cheddar's statement that Trippier seems to be the best of the three right now, but Aurier and Kyle Walker-Peters have the higher ceilings. I think that's that's perfectly worded. And, and for me, it's about aspiring to find those higher ceilings rather than settling for what passes for the time being. So it's about taking risks on whichever one, ideally both, um, and and trying to, to access the the potential that is in the squad. Uh, go on, just to answer your question, I will very optimistically say Carl Walker-Peter. Yes. That's basically what I wanted you to say. Yeah, so I thought so. <laughs> you, you made me very happy. Um, I think Walker-Peters is, is the best suited of the three to carrying the ball. Trippier is the best suited to crossing the ball, probably from deep mostly. And Aurier is somewhere in between, to be honest. So it sort of depends what we play, which leads nicely into discussion about our tactics for the forthcoming season so uh, Bear Bass Willie says also from Reddit says will we go three at the back stick with a 4-2-3-1 or play some sort of 4-1-4-1 like some have projected and when he says some have projected Nathan you've definitely been one of the people that's projected a switch to 4-1-4-1 so talk to us about that uh, I mean, it's not it's not my original creation, but it's something I've I've written about fairly in depth. Um, and when I wrote about it, it was based on uh, who we were and weren't being linked with, uh, and who was also being linked out of the club. Uh, and that was that we were likely to lose Adewale and Dembele, and the players we were looking at seemed to be Grealish and um, a variety of different wingers. Um, now, obviously, none of that came to be, but just sticking with the mindset of what the club appeared to be thinking through was some very indirect um, replacements. You know, I wouldn't play Zaha at centre-back, for example. So for that reason, it sort of made a lot of sense that we would be moving to a back four. And Grealish isn't someone who I would expect to, as we sort of mentioned earlier, play as the number eight in a two-man midfield where he has a lot of defensive um, responsibility. Um, So there's some reasons there that we're getting into, but... Another major one was the fullbacks in that, as we've been discussing, Trippier and Davies are the fullbacks in form, the fullbacks who are in favour at the moment. Um, but we've had some trouble with their athletic limits. If we were to move to the four-one-four-one, the defining feature of that, in this particular example that I'm thinking of at least, is that the fullbacks tuck inside. So this is very much a Pep Guardiola thing. He might not be the first to have used them, but I think he, he gets the trademarks right. Um, so the fullbacks... They act like central midfielders in position. Instead of bursting down the line, overlapping and taking players on, they would um, allow the central midfielders to push forward by taking up their roles um, behind the ball. This means um, that Davies would be able to use his really creative link-up play and it means that Trippier would be able to use his really good delivery of the ball rather than them focusing on doing the things they can't do, which is be width providers. The width providers become more natural wingers, so you get Sun and Lucas, possibly Lamella out on the right, and Kudo even, and Sissoko even, sticking out right on the touchline, um, like Yadar wants to see, taking his player on, whipping it across, not necessarily whipping it across, but providing the width and allowing the space to exist in the middle. So all of those reasons combined um, now uh, do make sense to me. Obviously, we've lost some of those reasons in the fact that we 
kept out of where Dembele and we haven't gained Grealish and we haven't gained an extra winger. I still think with Dembele's deterioration, and as I mentioned before with the 4-3-3, I think that the 4-3-3, again, we haven't even gone to it yet, but if we do, would be a bus stop on the way to arriving at a 4-1-4-1. There's not a great deal of difference between those two formations in in all honesty anyway. Um, But I do like, with the 4-1-4-1, I do like the concept of the fullbacks tucking in, partly because it suits the skill set of our existing fullbacks who are first choice, Davies and Trippier, but also to, to sort of use Tim Sherwood phraseology, it would thicken up the midfield and it gives that extra protection if we're playing, say, Ericsson and, and Delhi as midfielders. You've got added protection there because we've got t- tucked in fullbacks, which which helps. Um so I think there's I think there's some legs in that. Bardi, you've always been a fan of a back three. Obviously Toby Adaburel we know is now staying at least until January, unless he leaves on loan to some other club. Um what do you think? Are we gonna are we gonna be playing four one four one like Nate says, or is there a case to be made that we're sticking with a, a back three? I, I still believe our best formation is with playing um, Sanchez, Alderweireld, and Vertonghen. They are three exceptional exceptional footballers who are very capable of coming up with the ball. And we have wing backs in Danny Rose if he plays, and Carl um, Walker Peters or Aurier, and even Trippier as he showed he can play out wide as a wing back. I think it gives us a bit more advantage. It overloads in certain areas. And for me, it frees up Ericsson and Delhi as well without compromising our width. The issue with it is I don't know where Son goes in this formation. I don't think he, it suits him, which is a problem as he's, um, he's one of our best attackers. I mean, it, a lot of this will depend on Rose and Alderweireld's integration back into the squad. It might be the fact that we couldn't find an English buyer in the next couple of weeks. They might both go abroad, which kind of negates that because I don't think Dyer has um, stepped up as a centre back, and I think he's now he will now spend the rest of his life probably as a central midfielder, which is a shame because I always thought he could be like a really nice passing centre back, something maybe in uh, Mascherano kind of role. But for me, I still believe that four three four three is our best formation. But I'm not against the four one four one. I think I put too many fours in there. Mm-hmm. But I, <laughs> I do have a question regarding our fullbacks though, because if they're going to tuck inside, don't they need to be a little bit more kind of athletic and a little bit quicker to to drop back into position? I don't know. Are Davies and Trippier able to do that? This is a question for Nathan. So I think that. In a four-one-for-one, the fullbacks required to cover less ground, so there's less requests on them on them stamina-wise. But um, you're definitely right in that there's sort of a physicality thing, in that they they would be expected to um, counter press in narrow areas. That's a, a wanky statement, but they will have to win the midfield yeah. battle, and and that requires maybe a bit of brawn that they would both lack. So I think there's it's reasonable to have concerns there. But like we've seen with Pochettino, there's no reason to, to disbelieve that they can grow into that role. He he can coach players to do things that they previously couldn't do. So if he does want to develop that system, then I, I would fully back him to be able to implement it successfully at Spurs. Um, I mean, we, we we hadn't played three, three at the back for, for years before Pochettino came in, and yet he made that look instantly successful. Um, that period... Was it Christmas two years ago where we had Rose and Walker bombing down the flanks? We looked absolutely unstoppable with the back three. I mean, that was some of the best football we've played in, in my lifetime, I would say. is just exceptional. Um, so w- whatever he chooses to do, I fully back him to be able to take us there. I'm just fascinated to see it the way it pans out. And I guess the fact that we've got that flexibility can only be a good thing. Like like Bardi mentions, the 3-4-3 lacks a place for Son. But having said that, 
if we're ever carrying injuries elsewhere, then perhaps Son can play a part. Perhaps Eriksen could even play in the midfield in that formation with Dyer, um, leave, leaving Son and Delhi to play off Kane. It's just nice to have such a, a vast array of options, despite not having signed additional um, squad fodder. So these are good things. If we were to play a back three, we, we might be more reliant on centre-back cover. And Bob Lee Swagger from Reddit says, is Carter Vickers ready to at least be back up? My gut feel is that if Alderweireld goes, he's most likely to get minutes in the Cups. I think Alderweireld at this point is most likely to stay. Um, but Carter Vickers might also be on the bench whilst Foyth is injured. So we know that Foyth is going to miss at least the first few weeks of the season. Um, and, and perhaps we'll have to wait until the early rounds of the Cups are over before sending Carter Vickers out alone. What do you th- what have you made of Carter Vickers, Nathan? You you probably you saw a bit of him in um in preseason, but not a great deal. Where do you where do you think he's at at the moment? <laughs> uh, I'm not his his biggest fan, unfortunately. I think defensively he's he's very good. He's very promising, young age that he um has the defensive skills that he has. Um, and I think that potentially that could carry him, you know, to a a strong Premier League side, a mid table side. Um, but unfortunately, I feel that he very much lacks the technical ability on the ball. It's possible that he will, you know, rapidly develop in those areas within a couple of years and perhaps game time will help him. But my feeling is that, that he won't. And, and and simply being a good defender isn't enough to be a defender under Pochettino and that he will um, uh, leave us with issues if he was to play centre-back for us. So I don't think that it's likely it will work out for him with us. Would you agree with that, Bardi? Yeah, I think so. But my, um, my exposure to Carter Vickers is a lot less than you guys. I think if we have problems in the centre-back area, we'll just drop to a back four so you can naturally rest one. Um, I think our squad, due to its lack of quality on the bench and stuff, leads us more to being flexible tactically than actually individual. So we might see a tactical switch in order to rest players rather than perhaps, um, you know, then put a Sissoko in or something like that. It might be, let's switch it so this rests Sun. Let's switch it so uh, we can rest Kane, play Sun and play Lamella at the same time. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think Carter Vickers, like Nathan said, is a, a, a good marker, a good defender. Um, he, he's not slick on the ball. He's certainly less slick than some of our other young centre-backs, the likes of Ioma, who we saw in pre-season, uh, and Brooklyn Nines Foster, who's, who's coming behind them. He's kind of 17, so a long way off yet, but he's really great in possession, sort of a John Stone-style um, centre-back who, who carries the ball forward. So um, that, that's the kind of centre-back we, we need to look to develop, really, if we're going to continue playing the ball out from the back with any regularity. So I'd say Carter Vickers is probably getting to the point now where he needs to show something pretty soon or he'll he'll probably leave in the next year. Um, let's talk a little bit about what we'd like to see improve from last season specifically. So obviously we know we, we finished third last year, but teams around us have, have done more and, and would expect to be better. So what are the tweaks in our in our game that we can, can make to really uh, hammer home some advantages? Buddy, let's start with you. What what would you like to see done differently at Spurs this year? Um, I think it would be against the the weaker teams, especially early on in the season. Uh, we we lost a, lo- a large p- a portion of uh, points and uh, momentum with those games against Swansea um, early on and Burnley. And I would just like to see us really start the season well and really run into it like a, a full steam ahead. But that's a difficulty with the World Cup. I think. I think all overall we'll probably end up doing the same kind of thing we did last season. We'll we'll collect a, a, a good amount of points. We'll probably finish top four, 
But I would like us to remain in touch with the top two or top three. And that will mean actually like smashing Newcastle and then rolling into the next games and really building momentum instead of the kind of stop-start Wembley curse, new stadium, new surroundings kind of narrative. I would like us just to run into the season like at full steam. And I wonder if Nathan's um, 4-1-4-1 could actually aid us against those smaller teams who sit in more because we potentially have the ability to be a little bit more direct if we're playing, let's say, Lucas and Son out wide, or potentially even on their right sides. Uh, or, or one of them on the right side, you could really um, stretch the pitch, stretch those defences out a little more, create some more space in the middle, and I think that that might help. Nathan, is there anything specifically you'd like to see us improve from last year? Well, I think we saw the prime example over the summer with regards to set pieces and just how much attacking set pieces can really aid a team um, if they are organised. And obviously, Trippier looked especially good doing that, but it was less about Trippier, and I, I don't want to take away from his delivery. His delivery is very good. It's less about his delivery and, and more about the movement on the other side. We've talked about this on the podcast before, but I, I very strongly believe that Spurs have the capacity to add 15, maybe even as many as 20 goals to their to their season if we develop, and it's probably late to have done them by now, but if we had been doing them over the pre-season and we've been continuing to do them into the season, adding a lot of free-kick routines or corner routines, set-piece routines, um, and adding 20 goals to our, even if it's only 10, even if it's you know as, as little as 10, that's still the equivalent of adding what nowadays amounts to a, you know, a £30 million back up to Harry Kane that didn't arrive. So there's there's a big, big bit of room that we can move into there. I have to say I agree with that because the the goals that came from our centre-backs especially was, was pretty low last year. I don't think Davinson scored. The Tongan didn't score in the league. Um, I can't remember how De Vera getting a goal. So there are, if you look at how England and Colombia scored a lot, a large percentage of their goals, you sh- we should be looking to at least the full the centre-backs getting three, four goals each maybe if, um, if we do improve our set-pieces. That's a, an excellent point from Nathan. I mean, Davinson had a reputation at Ajax for scoring goals. Uh, he even scored an overhead kick, which was played over and over again uh, when he when he joined. And he didn't really look a threat for us in, in the opposition box, I thought. And quite often, he'd be the one that was left back in our own half, sort of defending the halfway line. Um, so that was quite a puzzling one to me. I'd definitely like to see us improve our organisation from attacking set pieces. I think it's, like Nathan says, it's a relatively easy way to add goals to a team that's already successful um i'd also like to see us improve our defending of set pieces because i think we are vulnerable um particularly against teams that are happy to sit up with two banks of four sit in defend kind of fight for their lives and then just break look for a counter win a corner and then send all the big men forward we look nervous sometimes and i think larice adds to that with the way he responds to to corners in particular so that's that's something i'd like to see improve as well i'd like to see a man on each post. I'd like to see Lloris be a little bit more proactive in trying to get to and punch corners early on to then encourage teams to not direct them straight towards the six-yard box. I think that's a, a psychological advantage then. The other thing for me is I'd like quicker transitions against those teams that sit in. I want someone in midfield to move the ball more quickly, to be a little bit sharper uh, in getting the ball to the strikers and perhaps that that will happen if Winks is playing more than Dembele because Dembele has a tendency to delay the pass. He he wants time on the ball. He enjoys time on the ball. He likes to suck players in and then pass. But sometimes that can lead to oppositions just standing off and getting back into position. So Winks playing more often could, could improve in, us in that respect. Let's talk a bit about some of the other teams around us. 
So we've seen some different levels of recruitment from some of those teams. I'd say Liverpool have been the ones who've been most active and it's hard not to be impressed with some of the signings they've made. They've, they've really gone about addressing their problems in, in quite an incredible way. Uh, who, who's impressed you over the summer, Bardi? Who, who, are, you, who are you worried about? Well, Liverpool are the obvious ones, as you mentioned. They had um, significant problems in their team. They lost Emre Chan rather stupidly on a free transfer. Um, so they went back around and got a good midfielder. I haven't seen a lot of him, but from the bits I've read and the, the, what Nathan says about him leads me to believe that he is a solid midfielder. They've added Shakiri, who gives him a little bit of um, an option and something that's quite uh, on his day can be quite frightening. And of course, Alisson, who... Hasn't played a huge amount of games in Europe, but when he has played, has looked spectacular. Of course, the the weird thing is he spent two years. He spent a year as Chesney's understudy at Roma, which which is like a uh, you know that's a, a bit of a flag. But I think that was he was new to Italy, so maybe it was a, a good way for him to adjust while Chesney started. So yeah, Liverpool are the ones to be worried about, and especially with Lovren, who well, he's the greatest defender in the world, isn't he? So. Um, <laughs> there are they they do concern me. Chelsea not so much. Not because um Sarri's not an interesting manager or an interesting way of playing, but I just think it's gonna take them time to adapt to his style. And I think Chelsea have shown that they're not a team willing to wait and adapt. If things aren't going well, I I think they'll probably boot him by February. Uh, Manchester United I'm, actually, I'm not gonna go through all the teams, I'll leave some for you I'll leave some for you guys. Uh, Man United, you know, under Mourinho, they're not going to be nice, but they do. He does have a way to kind of grind out results, especially against the big teams at home, at least. So, yeah, Liverpool obviously are the standout contender. City are on a different planet at the moment, so there's not much we can do about them. I'm I'm interested with Chelsea because I think they haven't quite recruited to what Sarri needs. They, if they're transitioning back to a back four, then I don't think Alonso is suited, and I don't think Moses is suited. So they'll presumably be playing Asper Lequeta at right back. And yeah, I have I have a theory that we're going to see Hazard pushed into a Mertens role. I don't know. In my head, I just see him playing. I don't think Murata is a capable Premier League striker. And we saw in the Community Shield that he's not the kind of guy that um, that Sari wants. At Napoli, unfortunately, Milic kept losing his kneecaps and was unable to properly put together a run of games. But you saw as soon as he created that kind of movable front three, um, with Mertens through the middle, then I just think he, we might see that. It might see them copy that at Chelsea. Nathan, have you been impressed with any of the transfer business of our rivals, and and which squads are making you nervous? Uh, I mean, Liverpool. I, I definitely agree is the most impressive one. The the two other very impressive summers, in my opinion, belong to um, Fulham and Brighton, and all three of those clubs, Liverpool, Fulham, and Brighton, are the three clubs who are quite overt about their use of analytics in recruitment. Um, Liverpool we know owned by FSG who lose analytics in their baseball recruitment Brighton are owned by people who made their money using analytics and gambling and Fulham the main owner's son who is a co-owner of Fulham also works in analytics for another American sport I can't remember which ice hockey maybe I don't know no NFL Um, and he posts on Instagram about how great analytics are so um, maybe those will turn out you know Brighton and Fulham will have poor seasons but my, my feeling is that they've made really good business and and you know all the errors are pointing to the power of analytics and recruitment uh, generally so, so, looks okay sorry I was just gonna say talk me through Brighton's recruitment this summer because they've I, I must admit I've been paying very little attention to them it's that time of the year 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. They signed Basuma, right? Yes, £15 million from He was from very, Lille. very good. And Spurs were linked with him early in the window. Uh, so uh, I'm going to have some terrible pronunciations. I'm not even going to try yes. and name this guy. Popcorn at the ready. Um, the winger they bought from RZ uh, is top scorer, <laughs> but also very high in XG. Now, we had a similar situation with that in that Janssen came from RZ. He was top scorer and he also had very high XG. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> there's there's reason to be a little worried there. But yeah, just throughout Montoya... Um, <laughs> I don't want to murder any more names. <laughs> Bernardo from from Leipzig. Um, yeah, they've they've packed their their squad with very much the names that you see all throughout analytics Twitter. Maybe they don't have a scouting department. Maybe they just follow um, you know all the stats bomb guys and everyone, and they're just seeing who they're talking about. Um, but yeah, to me, a, a lot of that seems very sensible. There is one player you missed off that list, and it's um, an old friend of Windy. They've signed um, David Button. Have they? Yeah, I missed that one. So is that to to give some competition to Matty Ryan? Yeah, I I quite like the look of Matty Ryan. I I thought maybe he might be a, a bit of a plank, but he, I actually quite like his style. And um, no, I I quite like how he go uh, his goalkeeping technique. I've got a real soft spot for Brighton. I mean, Chris Hewton's such a great guy and a really talented young manager. So I I would like to see Brighton do do quite well this year. So. I'm very interested to see how Yves Basuma does, and he's one that I would not be surprised to see moving on next summer, having yep. had a, a great first season. Having said that, we've seen Decore have a good season, and Watford have managed to keep hold of him, so who knows? Um, Liverpool really scare me, and I think they'll overtake us this year, if I'm honest. I think they're going to finish second, and I don't think they'll be a million miles behind City. I think they're a really, really, really strong team. Um, I agree. The only, the only thing that makes me think uh they can't win the league is that since Klopp took charge of Liverpool they've surrendered 47 points from winning positions in the league which is more than any other team in Europe which is quite staggering and I think they can they can start to change that this year but they're still prone to defensive lapses and Klopp is still too tempted to try and kill games off by attacking more rather than actually bring on more defensive players and seeing games out and he needs to adapt his style if they're to, to ever threaten City but Really impressive signings. Fabinho's an excellent player. Um, Kaito, obviously, is brilliant. And yeah. Shakiri Ch- Ch- is, you know, he's a bit of a dumpling, but he's got a lot of ability. And in a better team, I think he's going to be a really useful um, impact sub, rotation option, just generally a, a, a good player to have in the squad. And if you think that, in a sense, he's replaced Ings, really, that's that's a good bit of business. That's very smart. Also, I, th- I think Firmino is one of the best players in Premier League. I think he's one of the most underrated players around. Uh, I really like him, and I can see him scoring a lot of goals again this year. 
So Liverpool scare me. Um, I'm interested with City because there's talk of them switching to a back three. Now they've got Mendy back fit. And I guess there's a similar discussion to be had with their team and, and their setup to, to the discussion we just had about Spurs. In that, they've got Leroy Sane. And my God, I had to really think about that. Um, Leroy Sane. Sadio Mane. Gen- <laughs> yeah, who generally is a is a touchline hugger. If they play Mendy on the left, where does that leave Sane, who's seen as one of the best young players in Europe? Nathan, have you thought about this at all? What how City will manage their their starting eleven and their squad this year? Well, I mean, yeah, Sane is where you start, but they've got um, about fifteen players who have to start, so right. obviously they can't all. Um, definitely, if Mendy is brought Mendy is brought into the team then it's unlikely that Sane starts and, and likely they'll move to a three at the back with, with Mendy and Walker playing wing back. I think Sane then becomes an incredible power off the bench because if you think about him against fresh leg and a switch of formation, that's absolutely lethal. Um, he might get some minutes playing up top as a number nine, but um, obviously that's contested too between Jesus and Aguero. They might play both of those at the same time so I guess one's going to come off also Sterling can play up top but Sterling can also play in behind and out wide and all over the shop so there's a huge amount of flexibility they've got so many talents crammed into central midfield or you know those sort of 10 slash 8 players in in Gundogan and De Bruyne and Silva and the other Silva and Mares. Um, the only place they're weak and it's weird that they've persisted with remaining weak is in in six with they've only really got Fernandinho um Stones has played sort of 20 minutes in the community shields or whatever it's called now uh, in the defensive midfield role so it'll be interesting to see how that progresses I'm so fascinated to see what defense they come out with as well because Stones had a great world cup I generally really like him they've obviously got Laporte they've got company Walker might fancy his chances of playing as a right-sided centre-back in, in some games too. Um, yeah, generally fascinated to see what they're planning to do. I think their use of Sané and Sterling, in, in, if they were to play a back three, will be fascinating. Like you say, their their only weakness is defensive midfield. But having said that, they have got a player in Fernandinho who's got a really good fitness record. He's always ever-reliable, basically, and I don't think they'll have too many problems there. And if the worst comes to the worst and he, he does end up missing games, then Gundogan can probably cover that role and Fabian Delft can also probably step in as well. Um, Mares for them, is a superb signing. I know they're really well stocked for attacking midfielders, but he fits the ethos so perfectly that he's so good at isolating players, sucking players in and then beating them. Um, he's just perfect for City and he's going to be a star there, I think. Um, the only thing about City is that I think they will be so focused on the Champions League this year, that's, the, that's got to be their target to win the Champions League, that they might drop off a little in the Premier League and that could leave potentially the door open for, for Liverpool to come in. But I just can't see Liverpool quite doing it this year. Uh, next year might be interesting, but this year I think City will win it again. Um, what about the other end of the league? Are there any teams that you, you worry about, Bardi? Um, worry about as in playing us or worry about as in they're going to go down who might go down unexpectedly um, I think Huddersfield might implode I think everyone was kind of waiting for that to happen they kind of tailed off a little bit and I just don't think they can keep it up again um, Cardiff will probably go down um, Wolves are another one I don't think Wolves will go down but I don't think they're going to be as good as many people expect um, I just have a funny feeling that that could go terribly wrong they've signed a lot of players there's a lot of expectation normally when you come up your expectation levels are just to survive, but now all of a sudden they've got this added pressure of 
cracking the top eight or ten or whatever. I, I I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of them, but I just have a my gut tells me that they might have a bad year. How about you, Nathan? Who do you think is going to be relegated this year? Um, I am genuinely a little worried about Southampton because I think that they came up and they played some really nice football and they gave us Pochettino um, and they showed what you can achieve by promoting from your academy. And I think they're in a pretty weak position now. And I think that the promotion teams, for me, they all look really strong, um, except maybe for Cardiff. So, um, yeah, I think Southampton may well be sort of below 15th and, and dangling into that danger zone, which would be a shame in my opinion. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think Southampton are in trouble this year. I think Watford also will really struggle to score goals. Um, and I actually think Newcastle, albeit I think Benitez is a great manager, he has not been backed in any way and I think they're going to struggle. So uh, those three, I think, will be fighting out for the final relegation phase. I think Cardiff and Huddersfield are doomed. Pretty much. I think Bournemouth are also in a bit of bother. Um, Bournemouth for one, yeah, Bournemouth for one of these teams that sometimes it looks like it's up for them, but then they're they're also capable of stringing a run of games together. They've got some interesting forwards and some you know some quite technically nice midfielders. So I always think they they'll just be enough. They'll just have enough to stay up. Did they sign a goalkeeper? Because I've always thought they're they're desperate for for a decent goalkeeper. They're going to persist with Begovic. I think it's it's Begovic all the way for them. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. And he's he's not as good as he once looked, but he, he's probably probably fine. Um, I mean, like you say, they they've got some good technical players in midfield. We know Lewis Cook's great. I think Ryan Fraser's a a, a decent player. Um, and of course, this year they've signed. Oh my god, his name escaped. David Brooks, Brooks. from Sheffield United, who is excellent. Also, um, so hmm. they'll they'll be good. They'll be nice on the eye. I do think their defence, Nathan Ake aside, is one of the weaker defences in the uh, Premier League. And I think they're heavily reliant on Josh King for goals. And if he doesn't score, uh, to me, Callum Wilson didn't look the same player after his injury. And I think they they, they might struggle. Um, but like I said, I think they'll probably be OK because I foresee Watford being the third team to go down. So we had another question from uh, Mark Sinclair Vincent on Reddit, who said, how are we going to balance Premier League and Champions League games with, with little to no depth? And I've already spoken there about City prioritising the Champions League this year. Do you think Spurs will be able to put the same into the Champions League as they did last year, Bardi? Yeah, I think so. I, I think we're actually um, ranked higher. I think we've got a higher seeding this year. So um, that might work in our favour as well, even though we were a little bit lucky that we got, I mean, lucky, unlucky, we got Dortmund who weren't at their best when they, they were pot two, I think, we were pot three. But I think if we're pot two this year, a nice draw, I, I, th- I think we'll be okay with rotations. And as we said, We'll we'll just fiddle our fiddle our formation rather than the players. So if the draw is lucky, I don't I don't have too much concern with with us getting getting out of the group unless we get really unlucky. And how about you, Nathan? How are you feeling about our Champions League and potential rotation issues there? I think quite similarly to City is that mentally we might want to prioritise the Champions League, and in terms of rotation, we might prioritise the Champions League, but the tactical. Um, makeup of our team and, and perspective from our manager is that we are designed to overcome lesser teams. So we will, and again with City, we will both always lean towards faring better in the league because those are the better circumstances for us. Um, I do wonder, and this is perhaps clutching at straws a tiny bit, um, the whole time that we've been under the control of Enoch, we've very much leant towards summer transfers and away from January transfers. And I'm wondering maybe if what we've seen over the last two windows is a slight switch and that Levy believes because of the early closure that now the deals are actually in January 
and we'll sell a couple of players over the next month and we might bring in some depth and we'll definitely know where it needs to be by then in January. So I wonder if that will help us because if you can get out of the group and we should be able to get out of the group, um, depth matter more in the second half. God damn, I love your optimism. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is a very glass half full way of looking at the transfer window situation. And uh, yeah, full credit to you for going with that one. Um, I'd like to mention, there was, Nathan was discussing a theory um, yesterday, I think it was, about Tottenham buying players now just to be cup specialists. Was it, is, is that a theory you want, you want to um, enlighten everybody on? Uh, that's even, that's about as, as much as you could possibly clutch at straws. That's, it's out there. I, I, no, I don't think, uh, the only thing that makes it make Do- sense <laughs> is that the tendency to, buy players at the end of the window you know again even though we bought no one at all this window um does suggest that levy very much has a long-term perspective on who he buys and he's not worried about how they start and that sort of matches up and this is too far-fetched i'm not putting my name on this (laughs) the idea that you would buy a player after the window because he's much cheaper because the rest of the premier league isn't in the window you can register him in the cup still you can't register him in the league until january you only you get him to play him in the league I don't know. It's bonkers, really. It's absolutely not. That's that is utter lunacy. No, no, no right-minded <laughs> footballer would do that. It's a it's career suicide. Um, it didn't work a out. Career for suicide. Yeah, exactly. Alex Vidal and uh, Turan both sort of came to sit around for was it a whole year or did they only do it for six months and then just I think it was six months okay well even then yeah so that did not work out for them Diego Costa as well is another one that signed for a club and didn't he didn't play for Atletico until the turn of the year so there there are instances where it can happen we've got a few questions to get through but before we do so I just want to uh, just 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 to ask you on on something I've been thinking about so in 2015-16, it was the year of the press being introduced into the Premier League. 16-17 was the year of the back three. 17-18 was, in, in a sense, Pep and the tucked-in inverted fullbacks, um, or Liverpool's false nine. And I wondered what you think the kind of tactical development will be this year. My, my own personal thought is it could be, as Nathan hinted at earlier with his comment about Yadar, um, <laughs> the return of the right-side winger. If we're, if we're seeing teams play... 442 or 4141 you might end up with wingers providing a width again as they as they did back in the day any thoughts on that or, or any other sort of tactical developments that you foresee Bardi? yeah i th- i think this is going to be the year of the um, the deep line playmaker Jorginho's come here and this country hasn't seen a player like who passes like this and it's We've often talked about good passers. Wilshire gets rated as being like a good passer. Winks, example. But I think Jorginho, the fact that De Bruyne is playing deeper, we might see Eriksen playing deeper. I think this year will really be about the deep line playmaker, and I, I think we'll start seeing a shift towards that. That's my guess for the year. I really hope that's the case. It's a lot. I mean, it's a it's a beautiful position. If you watch like Xavi, Busquets, Pirlo, these kind of guys, the way they move the ball, the way they control it, it, it would be lovely if the Premier League does do that but anyway that's my theory that everyone's going to become obsessed with a deep line playmaker again and if, if Spurs fall into that same mould then Harry Winks suddenly becomes a very important player in our squad because he's the only one we've got capable of playing that role Nathan how about you what do you think is going to happen tactically this year I think the the right-sided winger and the targeting fullback are sort of intrinsically linked. If you think of, of Delph and, and Sane and, and potentially we're looking at, you know, Trippier and Lucas. Um, I'm going to be really optimistic again and I'm going to say that this will be the year of really good football because I think that um, 
five of the top six manager top six managers are um proponents of proactive attractive football um I'm aware I've sort of thrown Arsenal a compliment there, though, which I'll apologise yeah. for. Um, and I think that we've seen some really good re- recruitment from from the bottom half as well. So I think those things together means that um, if the Premier League was ever knocked off its perch as the best league in the world, then it will be reaffirming itself very much so this year. I think this is going to be um, a huge year for the brand. Nice. OK, we'll cover a few questions. Um, firstly, I'll just say we had a whole bunch of questions about fantasy football. So we're going to do a segment about fantasy football very briefly at the end of this, uh, because I did a poll and lots of people weren't interested. So we'll do it at the end so you can stop listening at that point if you want to. OK, first question is from Mark Lynch, who says, If all the youngsters were fit, who is the first in line for midfield between Onomar, Oakley Booth, Amos and Skip? And similarly, at centre-back between Carter Vickers, Ioma and Tanganga, and anyone else I've forgotten. I'm going to ha- uh, hazard a guess that neither of you really want to tackle this one, so I'm going to take it on to, uh, to answer. <laughs> um, and I- I'm going to sort of make a comment that I've made before, which is, if you'd asked me a year ago, Onuma would have been absolutely miles ahead of any of the other options, because he was, in my opinion, ready in terms of physicality, in terms of ability. Um, obviously, he came into the team who's played... At number 10, he's played on the left quite a bit. He even played as a false nine for us once, I think. And he didn't show his best. And as a result, Spurs fans have got quite a negative opinion of Josh Onomar and, and don't tend to rate him. He then went on loan to Villa. It wasn't the best loan move for him. He, again, played on the left or as a 10 a lot and quite often saw the ball just sailing over his head constantly. And he's a player that likes it to feet. He likes to run with the ball. He likes quick interchanging passing in midfield. And so he wasn't hugely suited to their style. But there are some videos of games he played for Villa where he was highly effective in midfield. Uh, one where he put in a, I described it as a Moussa Dembele-esque performance where he protects the ball really well. Uh, he makes a lot of impressive tackles from the wrong side where he doesn't foul the player but wins the ball cleanly. And he, he springs a few counter-attacks. Um, there's also videos of him floating around from the Under-20 World Cup for England where he played as a number six essentially and was you know, a, a, a great anchor man using the ball really intelligently. Um, and I think he's so much better suited to the six or eight role than to the ten or to any kind of wing role. And so Spurs haven't seen the best from him yet in the first team. There's so much more to come from Onomar. I really hope we don't give up on him. Um, I'd, I'd love to see him integrated this year. And he's one with an enormous upside that I think Poch could really get the best out of if he played him in that three-man midfield. So if, if he does play, I'm excited about what, what can happen. And my choice would be his, his first choice. I think based on pre-season alone, then Amos will be first choice at the moment because he's got the tactical discipline to play as a sit, potentially. At centre-back, we've spoken about briefly Carter Vickers and none of us seem to think he's really up to it, but he's certainly more ready than a Yoma and Tanganga purely for the fact that he's played a lot of first-team football at, at championship level and even at Premier League and uh, at Spurs' level, mainly in cup games, albeit, but... Uh, I, I don't think he's suited to us in the long term. I think Ioma and Tanganga are better suited, but I think he's most, most likely to fill in. Though I would personally pick Foyth ahead of any of them. I think Foyth is a really top prospect. I really like Foyth, and I'm excited to see what he can do this year. So I hope that covers that one. Uh, next I one, do have something to add on, on Amos. By. That a, um, a major betting firm says if you hashtag and then use their hashtag, they will give you odds on anything. And they constantly keep chickening out of giving me odds on Luke Amos getting an England cap this season <laughs> because they know they're scared. I've asked them anything over fifty to one. I'm going to put a five pound. I'm going to put five pound on it. But 
they're bottling it, and I'm going to keep chasing them and asking them for um, for the odds. <laughs> nice. Is that a? Do you really think that Amos can play for England? Um, Pochettino has a history, and you never know with England's centre midfield problems. Uh, question from uh, Bear Bass Willie, who we've we've had a question from already, but he said a segment on Son. How long will he be? Will he be gone? What are South Korea's chances, and what will we do in his absence? Oh, and can can he watch the games? Bar, did you want to take that one? Um, I guess South Korea pretty good, so I reckon they'll be there for the long haul. Um, was he? He's going to miss um, one month. He'll be play play at uh, Newcastle, and then he'll be gone for forever. <laughs> they'll never come back <laughs> in military service they'll, they'll push him into service and we'll never see him again so what we know is that if if South Korea were to win the Asian Games then he will be exempt from military service because exemptions are awarded based on Asian Game gold winners so it's the right decision to let him go on that basis let's hope they win it if they don't then the likelihood is he will have to do military service I've tried doing some research to see if the matches are televised and I can't find anything, but as with most things, I'm sure it'll be on somewhere in the world and there will be streams. So I'm sure you'll get an opportunity to watch Son in the Asian Games. I'm um, looking at the, the lineup of the teams and Japan, um, Iran and South Korea are the big dogs. Amongst that, there's teams like Maldives, um, Singapore, Syria, India, East Timor. East Timor so... Yeah, I, I, th- I see them getting at least to the semi-final. They won the football in 2014 and they didn't have Son with them, so that gives you an insight to their chances, I think. Hmm. The chances are he'll be the best player by some distance yep. in the tournament, so, so they've yep. got every it's, chance. And it's already started. Um, Hong Kong won, beat Laos in their first game, and Chinese Taipei drew against Palestine. That's the latest update there. Nice. Good info. Good research. Um, as, as this is a proper pod and not a bonus pod, we're actually going to go back to doing what we always did before, which was further reading. So I'll start off and I'll say that I really enjoyed Luke Ballsburgess' season preview, which is on his blog, which is simply lukeballsburgess.wordpress.com. Um, Luke is highly analytical. He's a um, sort of data-driven and research-heavy writer. He writes very lengthy pieces. He's just written a dissertation about football as well, which was um, which he put on Twitter. I haven't had a chance to read that yet, but I will do it at some point. Um, really engaging writer who who has some interesting ideas, and I definitely recommend reading that. How about you, Nathan? Anything on, from you on further reading? Um, well, I might go for his dissertation because um, I also I've only just started reading it. I'm only a bit of the way through, but based on his previous work and the topic and and the the length there, there's going to be a lot. It's going to be it's going to be very heavy reading, um, but I imagine it'll be very good. And what I've read so far is good. And what's the theme of that? Uh, so it's how to use possession in football, which is very relevant to Spurs. Right. Body, how about you? What's your further reading for this week? I've got um, something that was published by Blizzard Books, and it was written by Dominic Bliss, and it's called Erbstein, The Triumph and Tragedy of Football's Forgotten Pioneer. And it's about a Hungarian Jew that was born in the early, 19th century, early 20th century. And about how he learned his football and he had the First World War cut into it. And then obviously the rise of fascism, um, the rise of the Nazi parties and the problems that Jewish people had in Europe at that time. And how he kind of was such an innovator. He eventually ended up in, in Italy, of course. And how he was the manager of the, the Il Grande Torino, one of the best football sides in the world that unfortunately got wiped out in um in the air accident and it's about how he changed football and his influences and that kind of stuff and it's um 
It's a lovely and really well written by Dominic Bliss, who's the the inside lefty on Twitter, and is a very nice follow as well. Always in his nice, living. good tips there. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's literally incessant. Um... I, I was looking for a book to read and I've been reading old copies of The Blizzard and this came up and then I saw he'd written something. It's not about an Italian, but obviously it's in it's set in Italy, but it's a good read and it's an interesting book. I'll try and read something non-Italian next. I, I do have a real soft spot for uh, you speaking in an Italian accent and... I mean, you're so knowledgeable about Italian football that I enjoy it, but I, we will definitely get complaints about that. <laughs> or, or at least subtweets. <laughs> right, we're going to do some uh, fantasy football stuff, but uh, do you know what? I'll do the outro first because some people really will want to switch off at this point. So you can follow me at Windy Coys. Um, you can follow Bardi at Bardi TFC, and you can follow Nathan at Nathan A. Clark. If you want to email us, it's the extra inch at the fightingcock.co.uk, and you can follow our Twitter account, the extra inch. Thank you for listening. Now we're going to talk about fantasy football. So we had a question from uh, cbriddle89 on Reddit who said, a segment on Spurs players for Fantasy Premier League, is Lucas a good option to have on your midfield with Son missing some game time in the early part of the season? Nathan, have you got Lucas in your team? I don't. I did spend, I have spent some time. He's sort of my, my the one player on my wish list at the moment. He So I think he's got a high fantasy football potential. Um but for the time being, I've gone safe with Ericsson. I always go with Ericsson. He's such a regular, consistent player. He's going to turn out, you know, four points, five points, five points, four points every week. And you can just rely on him. So he was the obvious pick. But Lucas is is first off the, not the actual bench, but, but first off the, the transfer bench, as it were. I, I, he's definitely got a high potential this season. Lucas was an excellent differential pick um, from the left field because Ericsson is as you say, superb fantasy football asset, but he's 9.5 million, whereas Lucas is seven. And I'm talking about the um, the official fantasy Premier League game here, um, not others. So Lucas is seven million and has low ownership as well. So um, a good differential option. He's likely to start against Newcastle because he's performed well in pre-season and uh, he's fit, which helps. And I think he, he potentially will score goals for us this year. I think with Son being away for the first month of the season, then Lucas is a great shout. But... Do bear in mind that you'll probably have to take him out when Son gets back because I suspect he'll come back into the team. So you're essentially um, you're going you're gonna to need to use one of your transfers to, to replace Lucas and you can't rely on him then being a regular starter. Um, so really good short-term pick, but over the long-term, uh, slight risk. Buddy, are you playing fantasy football this year? Um, no, this would be my third year not playing it, but I would highly recommend putting in Adama Traore <laughs> as captain. You don't get any points for dribbles. <laughs> That's just, they should introduce that. He would be the he, best pick overall. They might <laughs> clock on the bonus points, though. You never know. That's true. Nathan, tell us about your special fantasy football league you've made. Uh, yeah, I've, I've made a hipster league. Um, so it uh, an outfield player age limit of 22 and keeper limit of, I think, 24 I went for. Um, and then the second rule is that you're not allowed to make any transfers at all after game week three. Um, so you can move players on and off your bench. You can change your captain and your vice captain. The idea is that you sort of um, put out there who you think the best performing youngsters would be at the beginning of the season. You have to stick to it. Unfortunately, I think 22 is too old. And there's a lot of very obvious um, players in uh, Martial and Jesus and, and Sane and, and, and Davinson Sanchez that are like, 
everyone's just going to go for. So um, we'll see how it goes this year. I think a lot of people have just joined in with their first team and not realised that that's what they've done. So I might have to boot a lot of people. In fact, I think probably half the league is breaking the rules. So I might only boot whoever is on top if they're um, breaking the rule each week. Um, I think, yeah, next season I might come back and I might do like a super harsh age limit of 20. And then really you're saying, okay, who's of all the kids that aren't starting, who's going to break into the team this season? And I think that's an interesting angle for predicting, especially for you. you you're going to have to really monitor the ages of players throughout the season. Though. That's going to be a lot of work for you. So the rule is, because again, you can't make transfers after uh, week right. three, is that they have to be under 22 at the beginning of the season. Right. So they can turn 23 in, in September and that's fine. I'm not going to be like, you know, updating my calendar with, oh, it's... It's, you know, Sane's birthday, <laughs> kick everyone out. So it's I not mean, quite that complicated. Mate, this is some real hipster bullshit. I don't oh, know yeah. what you're thinking here. It's, it's, it's madness. You're you're asking a lot of yourself for other season to, to monitor this. I think... Wow. I think it's just like I wanted to get at football Twitter because of their, like... Uh, I think there's a lot of fake youth interest where uh, people only sort of... Oh, yeah, I've been following this player a while when they've only just cropped up. So I, I wanted to make sort of a test out of it to see who's actually huh. actually true to their words there. Um, but again, I think I've left the age too high. I, I, I would struggle to join your league um, because I only like to have one team and I enter leagues where I'm paying money to, to play. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I have entered, but I'm going to get kicked out after week one because I've had to play to normal rules. Um, we had a question also, another fancy question from uh, Neil Mepham on Twitter who said, what are your THFC player picks for your fantasy team? So we, we've already mentioned Ericsson, we've spoken about Lucas, but are there any other Spurs players you want in your team, Nathan? <laughs> so did I say on this podcast? Yeah, I said on this podcast, I said that Harry Kane wouldn't score in August. Um, he's in my team and he's my captain. Um, is he? Yeah. I just, so <laughs> this is a bit, uh, left of field but I didn't want to start the season with a game week one team I wanted to start the season with my base team so that I would have that imprinted on my mind and I would refer to it and come back to it I think you can fall into a bit of a trap if you say oh well Lucas is going to start and Kane's not going to start and and this player is out injured so I need this player from game week one because then you go oh hang on it's now game week four and I haven't got Harry Kane and I I put in this fullback who's a deputy because the first guy's injured and suddenly you need to use your wild card pretty early on which again isn't the worst idea um but yeah I wanted to say this is going to be my main team this is going to be my starting point and even though Kane might go off to a slow start um I wanted to to have him in the team from the start to say that this is this is where we're looking for at, at from I think that that's a really solid rationale, and it's very difficult to get Kane in having not started him. Yeah. And that's the predicament I'm going to find myself in because I know I'm going to want Kane from let's say September, and it's not just because of the August hoodie. I'm thinking that I'm thinking there is genuinely a risk that he might not play against Newcastle. Uh, he he might look tired as he did at the end of last season and for England. Um, and I was kind of more certain that Mohamed Salah would start the season more strongly, so I, I went for him. I've gone for him as captain, and uh, I've gone for Aguero up front for the time being. Uh, they've got a, a decent run of fixtures at the start of the year, and I, I, I quite fancy Aguero to hit the ground running, but I definitely will want Kane at some point. I think having Salah and Aguero means that you can more easily make that swap for when Kane's back, um, because like it's, it's Salah thirteen million and Kane's twelve point five, yes. so you can you can pretty much do a, a, a within two transfers. It's when 
you've sort of spread that out and you've got like a, a string of nine million pound players that you get real difficulty. You need to make four or five trades to get Kane in and then that can really disrupt things. Absolutely. The other player that interests me from Spurs is Ben Davies because um, we, we're reliable for um, clean sheets. He also gets a reasonable number of assists and he tends to get a lot of bonus points. So Davies is a, is a good call. Also, if Rose does go on loan to Schalke, as is rumoured, Davies won't have too much rotation risk. So he, he's one of the sort of obvious calls. Whereas Trippier, as much as he's likely to get more assists and probably more goals, there is a rotation risk there with Aurier and potentially even Walker-Peters. So um, I, I would say Davies is the top pick from defence. That said, if we do improve set pieces, as we mentioned on the podcast, th- then suddenly Sanchez, Vertonghen and Alderweireld will become interesting prospects because not only will they get the set piece points, they'll potentially be scoring the odd header or two. Um, Son is also worth considering, but certainly not for the start of the season because of the Asian games. Um, and then it will depend on whether we're playing 3-4-3 or, or 4-2-3-1s to whether Son's an obvious uh, fantasy choice. Any other kind of crazy left-field picks in your fancy team, Nathan? Uh, so I didn't do it in the end, but I, for quite a while, had Morata in my team. Um, ah. I'm I'm partially vindicated on that because I don't think Chelsea brought a forward in this window or maybe not one that's going to compete. Uh, you said that Hazard might move into a, a, a Dries Mertens role or he might move into a, a an out-and-out centre-forward role. Um, so that's a threat there, but um, and this is a very analytics driven pick is that Murata's XG was pretty decent last season as it has been all his career so I was I was trying to go for at least one very analytical pick where I said oh you know um, XG is a better predictor of future goals than goals are on Murata but in the end I went oh wait no I should go for Mino who's the same price (laughs) logic logic uh, won you over at the end um Sorry, go on. Just that Firmino for me is the is the best Liverpool pick because they really spread their goals around because of the way they counter attack. Um, and Firmino is relatively cheap, you know, and and Salah is a huge, huge sum. So I I I really like Firmino as a fantasy pick. And it's a similar situation with City because they rotate their team so much. We talked earlier about Sane being in and out of the team and Mendy being in and out of the team. And which of the forwards are they going to start? They're going to start both forwards. They're going to do one. And I think Sterling is the player who is going to be pretty much consistently in that starting 11 week in, week out. Probably De Bruyne will be as well. Um, but because he plays a little deeper, he's less reliable for goals and assists. So for me, Sterling was the Man City pick in attack. Nice. Um, the, the the crazy pick for me was um, Potter of Wolves. I, I, th- I think he's got potential because he might be playing out of position. So he's a midfielder in the game, but he might play up front for some matches. Um, obviously, we, we have no idea how he'll, he'll cope with the transition to Premier League football, but he was a top scorer last year. He's a really good player, and, and I, I think he'll do well. And also, uh, Juan Bissaka for Palace, who is 4 million in the game, but he's likely to start the season at right back for them. So that seemed like a no-brainer to me. It saves you 0.5 at the back, so he can use that saving elsewhere in the team, so that was a good one. Okay, we should probably call it a day there, because uh, we've probably lost everyone by this point. Yeah. Uh, we certainly lost Bardi, bless him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but thank you for listening thank you for for persisting with the fantasy section if you got this far and we'll be back very soon extra extra here all about it extra extra here all about it extra extra here all about it extra extra ish
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.